the words of our Savior Jesus Christ comfort our hearts today. And today as we come into the book of John chapter 14, we are encouraged by the words that Jesus Christ gives us here. And it's a time that's very poignant in all of our lives. As we go to the pump and we see uh, prices that just stagger us, I was talking to someone the other day, and they said they spent $100 on uh, filling up their truck. I said, man, I'm glad that's not me, and then I went to the pump. (laughs) And we look around us, and we see war. We see uh, conflict. We see problems with our families. We see children that have gone estranged. I tell you, this, this last week, I've talked to multiple families that are going through great rifts in their family, whether that with a child or whether that's with a loved one, a spouse, And I can't help but be reminded that this message this morning is for such a time as this. In John chapter 14, Jesus comes and he reminds us, listen, this life in this fallen, sin-sick world is packed with trouble. And no doubts, we need the comfort of God for hearts that are overwhelmed by the troubles of this world. And I just, I'm so thankful for this song. I had no idea what Sister Rhonda was singing, but as she began to introduce it there this morning, I couldn't help but think, Lord, this is exactly what we need to preface the message this morning, that even in the midst of all that's going on, the Lord has promised us His presence. And this morning, as we come to John 14, we find that God offers us comfort for troubled hearts. Listen, the Word deals with our troubles. It doesn't pretend like the, our, things are perfect. You know, sometimes at church, we come to church and we put on a pretty face. And man, we're just are happy to everybody. And, but the reality is that, that Scripture faces these hardships in life directly. And for example, Job was no stranger to suffering. And he declared this, Man that is born of a woman is a few, full, a few days and full of trouble. Then there was Eliphaz, who was one of Job's would-be counselors, said in Job 5, 7, Yet man is born unto trouble, and as the sparks fly upward. Later, Jeremiah, who was known as the weeping prophet, he wrote this in Jeremiah 20, verse 18, says, Wherefore came I forth out of the womb to see labor and sorrow, that my days should be consumed with shame. Then Jesus, knowing his followers would face trouble in this life, he looked at his disciples and he commanded them in John, uh, Matthew 6, 34, take, no, uh, take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow should take thought for the things of itself, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. In John 16, he uh, makes this statement, in the world you shall have tribulation. Paul and Barnabas, who were believers in Asia Minor, and they, or they, they were believers who ministered to people in Asia Minor, they wrote in Acts 14, 22, that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. But listen, so this is not something new for our generation. The people of God has suffered. The people of God have gone through tribulation. Even today, uh, we have it easy compared to many of the, uh, the, the believers around the world today. I think of what our, our brethren in Russia are going through today, or the fact that Madagascar is a third world of third world countries, one of the poorest countries in all of the world. And these believers have nothing, but they have their Lord. And I'm reminded that when Jesus Christ comes to it, we can find, find what it means to be satisfied. Even in the, the situation where all of the world is caving in around us, we come to the scriptures and we find that Christ is enough. Isn't that good to know? The blessed promise of scripture is that God in 2 Corinthians 1.3 says, He is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And He goes on later and He comforts His children in verses 4 and 5. And He says, Who comforted us in our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. 
For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. You see, God comforts us because by His very nature, He is very gracious and compassionate toward us. We serve a God who loves us with an uh, incredible love. In Exodus 34, and verse 6, He says, The Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. Aren't you glad that that's your God today? I'm glad that we don't serve a God who hates us, but instead that loves us, who's compassionate towards us. And God's comfort comes initially... But we see that as Christ stretched out His arms on the cross and He died for us. He offers forgiveness. He offers salvation. He gives the believer the Holy Spirit who's the comforter according to John 14. And Christ said of those that would mourn over their sin, He says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 4, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Christian, you may come here with troubled hearts, but I'm telling you the message of John 14 this morning is for you. You may feel like this world is overwhelming to your spirit, and you may look at the troubles around you, but Christ said this, let not your heart be troubled. And so today is very important for you just to see, hear the words of Jesus Christ, our incredible God and our Savior, our friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And he's these ministers to our hearts today. I pray that you would know the comfort of our comforting God today. Because we're offered an eternal comfort from the burden of sin in 2 Corinthians 2.16. Now our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. Listen, God not only promises comfort to believers in the future, but also in the trials and difficulties right now in this present life. The psalmist, man, oftentimes when I feel overwhelmed, I run to the psalmist and I hear the words that he wrote. Psalm 23, as we have spent much time here studying this passage, says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he says, I will fear no evil. He said, listen, fear is not part of my vocabulary because God is with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. He says in Isaiah, excuse me, Psalms 86 and verse 17, Show me a token for good that they which hate me may see it and be ashamed because thou, Lord, hast hope in me and comforted me. The Apostle Paul, as he wrote to the church in Thessalonica, reminded them that God would comfort and strengthen their hearts as well. He says in 2 Thessalonians 2.17, Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. You see, because God doesn't just comfort our hearts when we cry out to Him in prayer, but also through His very Word. And so Paul wrote and he said, listen, go back to the Word and find comfort and strength there. In Psalms 119 and verse 50, he says, thy, uh, This is my comfort in my affliction, for thy Word hath quickened me. He says, Your Word made me alive when I thought I was dead. Your Word brought me life and hope again when I thought all was lost. And two verses later, he says, I remembered thy judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. He said, Listen, your Word brought me comfort in my situation. Your Word brought me hope once again. And where I thought I was dead and on my way uh, to just a, a place of despair, God, you brought me comfort in my spirit. But listen, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is the divine comforter also works in our lives as Christians today. Aren't you thankful we have a, a comforting uh, work of God directly in our life who is the Holy Spirit that indwells every believer? He says in Acts chapter 9 and verse 31, Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost. You see, even as they went about doing the work of God, they knew the Spirit of God brought comfort in their hearts in the midst of their tribulations. Listen, we don't have it rough compared to that first church. 
That first church, they went through such great trials and difficulties and, and stonings and imprisonments and falsely accusations. And, and we see them stand before Sanhedrins and people who hated them. And yet they were comforted by that Holy Spirit of God that indwelt their life. Even on the night before his death, we see the Lord Jesus Christ there in John chapter 14. And we draw our attention to our passage today because the Lord Jesus Christ, He addresses this, these the last 11 disciples. Remember, Judas had already fled from the scene. And these 11 disciples that remained in the upper room that were gathered here with Jesus, He brings them, uh, listen, a comfort, a message of comfort. And these 14 verses we're going to look at out of this first uh, this chapter here are really the premise of what He's about to share with them later on. And, and through the cross... We see that later on, with its sin-bearing, the separation for the Father, uh, from the Father, Jesus' focus was not on His ordeal, but instead He wanted to encourage His disciple. Listen, there disi the disciples were about to be devastated. I couldn't imagine what the disciples were about to go through. Is they saw their best friend, the one that they had followed. They'd left all to follow Jesus Christ. And now it seemed as if Jesus was about to forsake them. And here they come back and Jesus says, Listen, I know you're already hurting. I know you're confused. I know you're anxious. I know you're worried of this impending loss. But listen, I want you to have comfort in this moment, in this hour. And you may not be going through the storms of life right now, but I, I promise you that if you're going to live very long, there will be storms in life. And I promise you that you're going to need to know the words that Jesus offers here and the comfort that He offers in, in six different ways. And I know the, the, I don't normally do six-point sermons. So we're going to get as far along as we can today. And if it's 2 o'clock when we get out of here, praise Jesus, the storm will pass us by. I'm just kidding. I'll be, I'll be sensitive. Let's look at our, our verses tonight, uh, this morning, in John 14, verses 1 through 14. He says, Let not your heart be troubled, you believe in God. Believe also in me. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, excuse me, if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest. How can we know the way? And Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. And Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it, it, it sufficeth us. And Jesus saith unto him, have I been with you so, uh, so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath uh, seen me hath seen the Father, and how sayest thou, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am the, uh, I am the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works." Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sakes. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if ye ask anything in my name, I will do it. Let us stop and pray together. Father, we thank you for this incredible passage of Scripture. Lord, a timely message for us. 
Lord, as I sense, Lord, the, the burdens that we carry, Lord, into the house of God today. Lord, I, I sense that many hearts are troubled, but Lord, may we come back to that, that place. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. You believe also in me. And so may we come today with maybe the faith of the grain of mustard seed, just a very tiny amount, and may we see your word, Lord, grow it this morning, that we might be able to trust in you, your presence, your plan, your preparation. God, that you would allow us to know that you are right there in the midst of our lives and our very being. Now, Lord, I come before you because I need you, and I need your help. Would you direct me, Lord? But may you more than that even direct all of us that we might submit our lives to you. So God, we give you the glory and ask you for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. As we come to this passage here, we see really from, from the Lord a great compassionate heart. Uh, I can't help but come to John 14, and, and oftentimes I've preached this passage for funerals and loved ones. And I can't help but come to John 14 and, and not be overwhelmed by the compassion of our Lord. And I come here to this place, and, and I can't help but say, listen, there's some comfort that God offers our hearts today. And as we come to this, there's, we see that first and foremost, He wants us to be comforted in His presence. Consider, if you will, all that the disciples had gone through up to this point. And remember, the last few days had been very, uh, very exciting and very scary. It had been like a roller coaster for them the entire time. I, I remember not too long ago, my, my daughter and I went on to uh, Silver Dollar City and were on the roller coaster there. And, uh, and whichever that new one is, I can't remember the name of it. Um, what is it? Whatever they just said. Hallelujah. We're on this thing, and it's got circle. It goes in a circle, and it goes in all kinds of different directions. And 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 my daughter's beside me, and uh, and she's the whole time. She's got a death grip on those handles, and and she's got her eyes closed, and the whole time she's saying as fast as her lips could possibly repeat it. What time I'm afraid, I will trust in thee. What time I'm afraid, I will trust in thee. What time I'm afraid, I trust in thee. Just quoting Psalms 56:3 the entire time. And I look over, and I'm laughing at her, and I'm about to puke myself, and it's a hilarious time. I said, I'll never do that again. But listen, this time it had been like that ride. It had been an exciting time and it had been a scary time. It had just been an ex a, just a, a time where they saw the, the, the fervor of the crowds as they cried out and they said, this is our Messiah. And just a few days before that, they said, this is, our, this is the one that's going to deliver us from Rome. And, and truly, this was the apex of Christ's ministry. And it was during this exact time that Christ looks out and said, listen, I'm not going to be the one that you think I am. I'm going to first come and die on the cross. And, and so it went from this huge mountaintop moment to this in the valley, not understanding completely what God was about to do. And they're like, how can you die on the cross if you're about to be our deliverer? We don't understand. We thought you were the Messiah. And so all of these things were going through their mind because like their fellow Jews, we see the disciples saw the Messiah as a conquering king. They saw him as one that would come in and they would overthrow the, uh, the Romans and relieve them from the bondage that they experienced. And, and so they thought the same thing. And they thought man, Jesus was coming to restore the sovereignty of Israel and bring glory back to Israel like in the days of our forefathers. And listen, but Christ wasn't there to restore Israel at that time. Christ was there to restore the hearts of man to the Father. That was His purpose for coming. But they didn't understand that. They didn't have the Word of God to go to, okay, what's next in the narrative? And, and so they were just going along on this roller coaster, and they didn't fully understand everything that was happening from day to day, and, and they saw the high things and the low things. And, and, and then the next thing they know, they're sitting at the, at, at the, uh, the table there the night, uh, that same night, and, and as they're sitting at the table uh, with Jesus Christ, he, he, he notices that no one takes time to wash the disciples' feet. No one took time to, to play the role of the servant. 
And so they were humiliated as their master was willing to bend low, pick up that, that servant's towel and that wash basin, and he would wash those feet, performing the lowest acts of servitude that he possibly could. You see, they didn't understand everything that was going on in this moment. And, and, and then the next thing they, they knew, he was telling them, one of you will betray me. One of my closest friends, my closest confidence, the, the ones that I have invested the most in the last three and a half years, one of you will betray me. And all of this, they heard these things. They didn't understand what was going on. And they were unsettled because they could sense that even Christ himself was unsettled. We would see coming forward in just a, a few chapters that Christ would, be, would go to Gethsemane. And there at Gethsemane, he would be so overwhelmed by the turmoil and so overwhelmed by what was about to happen that, that his body would literally sweat blood. And then he says these words. In the midst of all of the turmoil that's in your life, in the midst of all the chaos that's going on, he says this, let not your heart be troubled. Listen, don't be anxious. Don't be overwhelmed by these things. He knew that their hearts were already in turmoil. And he was telling them, listen, it's time to settle your spirit. This trouble translates uh, there to shake or to stir up. And he says, listen, instead of being shaken, he says, I want you to be able to, to know some truths here, to be confident in a couple of things. And, and so the very first thing right out of the box he wants to, to remind them is, you believe in God, believe also in me. He says, listen, among all of these things, listen, I sympathize with your sorrow, I sympathize with your grief, and, he, and really he desired to bring comfort to them, but he also reminds them, believe in me. He affirmed his deity first here, because we see he equates himself with God. But then he also, we see that uh, he calls them to hope once again. See, a lot of times when we're fearful, it's because we are, we're fearful because we've lost, lost hope. We're fearful because we're uncertain of what's going to happen next. We're fearful uh, of what could possibly be around the corner and around the bend. And as I remind you this morning, God's called us not to be uh, servants to fear, but to have faith in the Lord. Despite the occasional lapses in, into idolatry, really Israel had a heritage of faith and, uh, faith and trust in God. And matter of fact, in Abraham, the Bible speaks of him in uh, Genesis 15 and verse 6. He believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. Moses later would charge the children of Israel and he said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. King David said in the Psalms, he said in Psalm 25, 1 and 2, Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in thee. He said, listen, my, my hope, Lord, is in you alone. And then later in Psalm 56, 3, and my daughter knows this one very well. What time I'm afraid, I will trust in thee. Listen, sometimes we as adults need to go back to Psalm 56, 3 and say, Lord, I know I'm fearful. I know I'm afraid, but God, right now, I choose to trust you more than I choose to fear the circumstances around me. King Hezekiah was also commended for his faith as well in 2 Kings 18 and 5. He says, he trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him there was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. Listen, Hezekiah had a great faith in God. Many, many throughout the heritage of Israel believed in God despite never even having to see him. And now these disciples who had walked with God, who had talked with God, who had spent time with him, now he was telling them, listen, remember 
that just like you believed in the God you've never seen, you can also believe in me. Just like your forefathers had trusted in Jehovah, so you can trust in me, the Son of God. Just like all of these other things, he says, you can continue trusting in me through what's about to happen. Lord, the Lord was not calling the disciples simply to believing faith, although that is where it starts. But instead, this, this, the, the present tense form of the verb that he uses here refers to an ongoing trust in him. Many times, I, I find it weird that we can, we can trust God with our salvation, but we don't always trust God with everything else in our life. Well, I've got to pick this up because God's not doing it, so I'm going to take care of it. Anybody else kind of a go-getter type A personality? You want to go conquer this? I'm going to get this done. I want to, I want to knock this out. And when it, we don't see God working in a situation, we stop trusting and we just start doing our own, uh, working on our own. But instead of trying to do it our own, what God's calling us back here to is just continue to trust, continue to believe, continue to rest in me, And soon we see that, that Christ would be taken from them. And as they face those traumatic events of the betrayal, the arrest, the trial, the crucifixion, we would see that they, their faith would be under great attack. But Christ didn't need them simply to be present. What they needed was to receive comfort and strength from the fact that God would never leave them. In John chapter 20 and verse 29, we see Jesus commended those who had believed and never seen Jesus said unto him, Thomas, thou, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. And then it goes on and we, we read other places that Christ's promise of like Hebrews 13, 5 continues to endure today. He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That's the promise from God. Following Pentecost, we see that God would give the Holy Spirit in the life of believers. And it gives assurance that one, we are sealed. But secondly, we see that, that His comforting presence is constantly with us. In John chapter 14 and verses 16 through 18, Jesus began to teach the disciples. and said, I will pray the Father and He shall give you another comforter that He may abide with you. How long does He say there, church? Forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it receiveth him not. Neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Later in John 15, he, again, he expounds on this thought a little further. He says, when the comforters come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. He said, listen, when this comforting Spirit comes, he says, then you're going to know truth. And I love what Jesus Christ says, and the truth shall set you free. The presence of Christ, the presence of Christ is enough to calm the believer's heart. Knowing He's near, knowing we're not alone, knowing His presence is constantly with us can help us in our times of perplexing and our times of troubling. And no matter the situation that we might find ourselves, let me just encourage you, Christian, that God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's our promise still today from God. His presence is with you through it all. The godly Puritan John Owen said, a sense of God's presence in love is sufficient to rebuke all anxiety and fears. And not only so, but to, to give in the midst of them solid consolation and joy. Folks, one of the greatest promises that God gave His disciples is, listen, I'm here. And there's is, there is no greater uh, thing that we can take uh, comfort in today than to know that God's presence is very real, and God's presence is very palpable, and God, you can uh, have God's presence in your life when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. But let me say, mention the second thing he goes on to in verse number 2. We take comfort in the preparation. 
In verse number 2, he says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I remember as a child, I wanted, desired to be an architect. And I, man, I just, I would sit down and I'd scribble little lines on the paper and I'd show my mom and dad. And I remember one particular evening, I was sitting down there and I was drawing a house. I was actually designing my mother's mansion in, in heaven. I'm not going to lie. My mom and dad were going through a time of separation. And I said, well, I know you're going to be in heaven. Dad's going to be in heaven. So I'm going to have a one-way door. You could go through to see dad if you want to see him. And so I, so I had dad's mansion and mom's mansion. I said, I've got it. I've got it. Mine's attached to yours, too. I just had this idea that I was going to get to design it. And, and, then, and then it's going to, anyways, but I could go on. But, but here's the, the awesome thing. Far better than a, a six or seven-year-old can design, our Heavenly Father has designed a place for us. You know, what a comfort to know that his departure was for the purpose of preparation. He was preparing a place for us. And you know, what, I love what the Apostle Paul says, because when we go through trials and tribulations, and we go through times that overwhelm our heart, he said, listen, these troubles in 2 Corinthians 4, he says, these troubles that seem so, uh, so real and so uh, overwhelming for your heart today, let me tell you, they're not even going to be remembered in heaven. Man, you're, maybe you're struggling with some cancer, or maybe you're struggling with some health problems, maybe it's finances, your worries, or children. God says, listen, I'm preparing a place for you that is beyond description. We're going to look at a couple of things about that this morning. I love, I love what God has prepared for us. In John 17, as Christ was praying to the Father, He said, Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. And so Christ's desire was that we would be with Him. We see that He is preparing a place even now. And so one of the ways the Bible describes this place, we see first off as the Father's house. Aren't you thankful that the place where God resides is where we will one day spend eternity with God? Amen? I tell you, that blesses my heart. But it's also described as a country. Think about this. The vastness of it is called, it's called a country. Uh, it is called a city, emphasizing the large number of inhabitants. It's a kingdom because God is the king. It is a paradise because of its indescribable beauty. And, and the Bible goes into little detail, but I tell you, we can understand so little about how vivid and how uh, alive heaven really is because uh, it's try, trying to describe colors to a person who's never had sight. But it's also called a place of rest, a place where the redeemed are free from the wearying conflict of sin. Uh, a place where we're free from the influence of Satan, a place where we're free from the, uh, the evil world system that hates uh, Christ. But Christ describes the Father's house and says that there are many mansions. I love this because I, I think as a, uh, oftentimes we go to this and we think, uh, God has built for me a mansion here and maybe you a mansion over here. And, and uh, if you've ever driven in really wealthy neighborhoods, mostly drive through them, uh, but um, you drive through these and you see these big, huge, beautiful homes. Well, we, because of our culture, have idea of these separate buildings, uh, and because that's our culture. This mansion here and this mansion over here down the road a little bit. Uh, but in the Hebrew mind, they would have understood things just a little bit differently. Because in their culture, they were given a piece of land, and this land would pass from generation to generation. And so mom and dad would build their house, and as the kids uh, got older uh, and they married, then the sons would bring their daughters to live in the home with their family, and so they would add a room onto this home. 
And so from generation to generation, they would just add on to the home on the land that God had given them all the way back in the book of Joshua. And so it wasn't uncommon for multiple generations then to live in the same house. Uh, daughters, how would you like to live with your mother-in-law? We won't go there this morning. But listen, the reality is, is that it's this idea that God says, listen, in my Father's house are many mansions. In my Father's house are many rooms. There's a place for you here within the Father's house. You're not going to be separated from Him, but you're going to be near to Him for all of eternity. I tell you, that excites my heart. To know that I'm not going to be on, on the back side, on the very corner, somewhere far away from Jesus Christ, far away from the Father, but my home is going to be within His home. I'm going to be with Him eternally in the Father's house. And that, for me, brings a lot of comfort. But we, we see also in Revelation 21 that it describes a little bit about the intimacy that we have with God. And he says, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself shall be with them and, they, and be their God. You see, even there, that, uh, that closeness, that intimacy that we will enjoy with, with God. And, and then we also see that there will be room for, uh, for all whom God in His infinite, infinite love and mercy has redeemed. In Revelation 21 and verse 16, He describes the size of this place. And He says, "...and the city lieth four square, and the length of it is, is as large as the breadth. And He measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs, and the length and the breadth and the height of it are equal." Now, if we were to take uh, this measurement in modern terms, the base of the city alone would be over 2 million square miles. That is, about, that is more than half the size of the United States of America. And then it adds, the height of it would add exponentially to the living space. And so we see in Revelation then 21, verses 9 through 7, it describes uh, all of the dazzling beauty of this particular place. And it's a place that, that God says is prepared for believers. You see, there are many people today that dwell in maybe uh, small homes or in squalor and filth. Believers all around the world, as uh, uh, Brother uh, Long was sharing with us, of some of the, the conditions there in Madagascar are, are nothing like what we experience here. But believers, no matter their, uh, their position on earth, will be able to enter into this place of incredible beauty that Jesus said He prepares for us. Now, this is not the destination of good people. Good people won't be in heaven. It's the destination and it is the home for all those that put their faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, if you're trusting in works, if you're trusting in a baptism or a church membership, or if you're trusting in anything other than Jesus or anything in addition to Jesus, this place is not yours. You really don't have a home in heaven yet. And there is no comfort knowing that my eternal destination is not a place where Jesus describes as something beyond uh, uh, beauty and beyond uh, any words of description. And there comes comfort when I know that, listen, my home is eternal in the heavens with God who made it. But there is no comfort in knowing that I have no security in knowing that heaven's my home. And a matter of fact, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, the Bible says that your home is not heaven. Your home will be eternally in hell. And there is not a temporary place uh, uh, where, where you will be, but it's instead a place of eternal torment, a place that God designed for the demons that rebelled against Him. But listen, God doesn't want you to be there. Instead, Jesus Christ came for the purpose of redeeming man into Himself. And so in verse number 6, Jesus makes a tremendous proclamation we're not going to get it into today. But as we finish up, I want to just leave you with this thought. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. You see, Jesus, as He comes and He talks about, listen, 
and my presence is with you. There will be a comforter that abides with you. There's also a preparation for a place that is beyond description. He says there is only one way to get there, and it's through the proclamation that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And church, if you're, if you're trusting in anything else today, if you're trusting in your good works or your baptism or anything else, then you are not destined for heaven. Folks, you're destined for hell today. And God calls you and says, listen, today, even now, Jesus Christ stands at the heart's door and he knocks and he says in Revelation 3.20 that if you will allow him, he will come in and he will sup with you and he will be your God and you will be his child. Because if any man puts his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 1 and verse 12, we are called the sons or daughters of God. And so God invites you today. Maybe you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Maybe you don't know if your eternal destiny is heaven or hell. But today you can get that assurance. You can leave this place knowing I am on my way to heaven to be eternally with God, to never be separated from Him ever again, and to know that His presence is with me always. But folks, listen, it's not going to come because I wish it. It becomes because I come and I say, God, I'm a sinner in need of salvation, and I put my faith in Him today.